Hey, what's up? Joey McLaughlin here, lead pastor at Elevate City Church. Thanks so much for stopping by to check out this sermon today titled Rig the Results. My hope and prayer is that it blesses you, it encourages you, it inspires you to see Jesus differently than you've seen him before. We know right now with everything happening in our world that results mean everything. And I want to help you see results differently. So make sure to help hit that subscribe button to get all the most up-to-date Elevate City content. Be blessed. Well, what's up, Elevate City? Good morning. Yeah, go ahead and make some noise. Hey, if you're new, I want to welcome you. Uh, my name is Joey McLaughlin. I have the honor of being one of the pastors who get to lead Elevate City. And um, I'm just pumped that you're here today. You may not know this, but every week over the last several weeks, more and more people have come to check out and experience what God is doing at Elevate City. Yeah, let's, let's, let's celebrate that. It's awesome what God is doing in this place. Um, man, if we haven't gotten the opportunity to meet, to meet yet, I want you to know I'm a Jesus guy. Um, I'm a grace guy. I'm a Bible guy. I take God's word really seriously, believe that it breathes life into dry bones. Um, we aim to be a community of people who so recklessly demonstrate the, the love of Jesus that the world has to take notice. Um, you might not know if we're smoking, you might not know if you agree, but you'll know we're smoking what we're selling. Um, we're full of passionate people in this place, people who are really excited about the news of Jesus and what God has done in our life and believe that he is not yet done with this generation. Amen. So you can expect this, man. Just week after week, I'm going to talk about Jesus. I'm going to teach you about Jesus, try to show you Jesus' ways and Jesus' ideas and Jesus' ideologies, his life and his philosophy. We're going to spend a lot of time talking about Jesus. No matter what topic we're talking about, I'm going to try to show you that topic through the lens of Jesus, through how he would see that idea, what he would do in that situation. We are Jesus, Jesus, Jesus through and through. And um, today we continue a collection of talks titled Jesus Over everything. Jesus over everything. And um, today what I want to talk about is I want to talk about results. Feels relevant, doesn't it? Results. I mean, many of you stayed up into the wee hours of Wednesday morning watching results. If I'm being honest, I thought that we'd be watching Georgia's results till 2023, okay? I didn't know if we were ever going to get this state counted. Results, it has been the hot topic of conversation. Outcomes, incomes, winning, losing, results. You know, recently, lately, right now, ballot boxes are the most relevant resting place of results, aren't they? We spent a lot of time talking about ballot boxes lately. About did we get it right? Did we get it wrong? But this is just currently the most relevant way to keep score. You know that, right? We love keeping score in our culture. And right now it's a ballot box, but we are a win, a loss kind of culture. Keeping score matters, right? I mean, you've got bank accounts that keep account of your results, the results of your education, the results of your impact, the results of your pro pro productivity. You got bank accounts that keep account of your results. Man, you've got scales that tell the results of how good your kids did trick-or-treating, amen? Anybody else getting a little gummy bear gut? Just me? Okay, all right. But you got them, right? You got these different things that keep account of results. Results really matter in our culture. What happened? Who won? Like, as a sports fan, recently, like, I don't even really care about watching highlights. I just watch box scores. Anybody with me? Like, I just want to know the results. Like, who won, right? That's all that matters in the end. Um, like, if you're a parent in the room, do you care more about um, what your kid learned or what grade they got? What grade they got? Okay, we're in charge. It's a safe place. You can be honest, okay? Like, 
Ain't nobody cared about whether or not you know the 22nd president of the United States, but they cared about what grade you got on the test, you know? Like, I never got re rewarded for knowing who the 22nd president of the United States was, but Grammy Mammy gave me $5 for getting an A on the test, you know what I'm saying? You don't call your grandma Grammy Mammy? <laughs> me either. <laughs> Right, results, results matter. They matter a lot. Social media, you know, it's a results game. Social media, you know, how many likes or followers you get is intuitively telling you whether or not people care about your content. I don't know if you've seen the Social Dilemma documentary that is on Netflix. If you haven't yet, you need to check that junk out. It is awesome. Um, but if you'll, if you'll watch it, you'll see that social isn't as much about connect, connection as it is recognition. It's about having somebody applaud us, somebody see us, somebody praise us. It's about results. We live in a results-oriented culture. We are always looking to try and get results, right? I mean, you, you, you want a... Um, you, you, you want a gym trainer that can predict results, that, that, that can get results. You want a financial planner that can guarantee you results. You want a diet plan that can give you magic results where you eat Oreos but wear size zeros, right? You want results. Results matter so much in our culture, in our life. And what I want to do is I want to talk today about what's going to happen when the ballot box of your life gets dumped out because I want to make sure that you get the right results when it does. Because you know that day's coming, right? When everything that you do and everything that you are and every decision that you've made, every choice that you tallied gets counted up and gets dumped out. And I want to make sure that you get the right results when it does. And so if you have your Bibles, Matthew chapter 25, Matthew chapter 25, um, today I want to look at a story that Jesus tells about getting results. Matthew chapter 25 says this, for it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. To one, he gave five talents, which would just be like a form of income or money. To another, two. To another, one. To each, according to his ability. Then he went away. He who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them. And he made five talents more. So also, he who had the two talents made two talents more. But he who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. Now, after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. And he who received the five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents. Here, I've made five talents more. His master said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And he also, who had two talents, came forward saying, Master, you delivered to me two talents. Here, I have made two talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. He also, who had received the one talent, came forward saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid, and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here you have what is yours. But his master answered him, you wicked and slothful servant. You know that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I scattered no seed. Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers. And at my coming, I should have received what was my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to him who has the 10 talents. For to everyone who has will be given more and he will have an abundance. 
but from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. I want to preach a message for you today titled, Rig the Results. Rig the Results. Who knew that sermon titles were going to become such clickbait? Rig the results. I believe that this story today can help you rig the results of your life. I believe that there are some principles, there are some things that we can learn today that can guarantee a win, that can stuff the ballot box, if you will, so that when you get to the end of your life, you can make sure that your life counts. Now, I believe that what Jesus wants to do is he wants to show us this story to teach us some lessons. Now, this story, it's called a parable, and parable is just ancient for story, and parables are intended to teach principles. What Jesus doesn't want us to do is to look at this story with a, um, like a magnifying glass and look at every little detail and what it says and what it doesn't say and just try to sparse all of the, all of the intricacies out of it. That's not what he's wanting to do. He's, he's telling a story. Do you know why he's wanting to tell a story? So that you feel things that facts can't make you feel. I could tell you facts, I could tell you statistics, but stories make you feel things. They make you remember things. And here's the truth is that we all intuitively know, we all cognitively know that one day we're going to die, that one day our life is going to be over, but we struggle to live with any kind of difference in our behavior in light of that reality. So, so we know it is a factual event that it's coming. You can write it down, put it on the calendar, but how does that make you live different? You've got to feel something to live differently. And so Jesus is telling this story so that we can feel the reality of what's coming and rig the results towards that reality. That this isn't all that there is and that this isn't our home and that there is going to come a day when the ballot box of your life is going to get dumped out. And Jesus wants to make sure that you get ready when you do. And so today, um, I'm not typically like a, a point kind of preacher where I give you, you know, six points. But today I got some points for you. Any, anybody like points? Any type A people? Note takers? How many of you know that um, you are getting extra crowns in heaven if you take notes? Did you know that? Jesus loves you more if you take notes. Okay, so make sure to take notes today because I think that if you write these down, you'll remember them. And they will help you to rig the results of your life. Let me hear you say rig the results. All right, so here's my first point for you today. Vote every day. Vote every day. You know that the election was not decided on November 3rd. The election's been decided for the last four years. Elections aren't won in debates or in rallies. They're won in daily decisions. And I want for you to begin to live a life where you vote every day. It's not the big stuff that matters most. It's the small stuff that's the most significant. It's the daily decisions, the daily rhythms, the daily grind that are going, that's going to cause you to rig the results of your life. It's not just about having some bucket list. It's about having some rhythms that rig the results. So vote every day. Vote every day with your life. Um, there's this book, it's called Atomic Habits. And if you haven't read it yet and you're in leadership, I encourage you to do it. It's one of my favorite books right now. And in Atomic Habits, um, James Clear writes, he says, every action you take is a vote for the type of person you wish to become. Every action that you take is a vote for the type of person you wish to become. And so actually what's happening is your actions are determining who you are becoming. So every day, every day, 
you're casting votes, okay? Every single day with your life, when you do things, what is happening is you're casting votes. I've got this Sharpie right here, and I'm going to cast some votes. Look at this little Sharpie. Everybody say, oh, little baby Sharpie. So every day you're casting votes, whether you wake up early. So vote. Whether you stay up late. That's like my wife watching um, Yellowstone. Whether you go to the gym. Whether you save money. Whether you read your Bible. Whether you pray whether you give, whether you love, whether you hate, whether you judge, whether you compare, whether you carry bitterness, whether you envy, whether you're selfish, whether you make a lot of money, every day, every decision, you're casting these votes for the kind of person that you want to become. James, um, in his book, Atomic Habits, is so funny. He, um, when he's coaching people, he does this like leadership life coaching stuff, and he coaches people who want to go to the gym. And everybody wants to go to the gym on January 1st, right? Nobody wants to go to the gym on January 2nd. <laughs> And so, and so people, man, at the start of a year, you've got all of these ambitions about the kind of things that you're going to do and the kind of person that you're going to become. But what happens is you bite off more than you chew and then you become, de you become defeated. And so what James does is he coaches people. He goes, okay, if you want to go to the gym, then you need to convince yourself that you're the kind of person that goes to the gym. Because right now, you know, you're not the kind of person that goes to the gym. You're the kind of person that goes to the pantry, right? And so he goes, I want to help you become the kind of person that goes to the gym. So this is what you're going to do is tomorrow, you're going to go to the gym for five minutes. For five minutes, you're going to go to the gym. That's it. You're going to get in your workout clothes, put on your yoga pants, and you get your cute little outfit, and you're going to drive to the gym. You're going to get your gym membership. You're going to go in. You're going to run on a treadmill for five minutes. You're going to turn around, and you're going to walk out of the gym. Do you know why? Because if you don't do it this way, then this is what's going to happen. is You're going to go to the gym. You're going to go for an hour. You're going to look at the equipment, be intimidated because you don't know how to use it. You're going to look in the mirror at everybody else, look at yourself, and go, I don't fit here. You're going to leave and you're never going to come back because you're not the type of person that goes to the gym, right? You're like, I'm not a going to the gym type of person. But if you go to the gym five minutes a day, every day, and you run on the treadmill because you can figure out how to run on a treadmill, your dog could run on a treadmill, right? It's not hard. Anybody can do that one. So you run on a treadmill for five minutes, then you go home. Well, guess what? You do that three, four, five, six days in a row, all of a sudden you're the kind of person that goes to the gym. I'm a go to the gym kind of person. And you start to cast these votes for the kind of person that you want to become. And slowly but surely, you become that person. Do you understand that your decisions are affecting, they are shaping who you become? Your decisions are shaping, your daily decisions are shaping who you become. We see this happen in the story, in the parable. What does Jesus say? He says, well done, good and faithful servant. That's his response to the first two people. First two guys do things, different amounts, have kind of different strategies, but they do, they do something. And the response to what they do is who they become. Remember at the start of the story, everybody was just a servant. 
All three guys, just servants. He went to his servants, but now he looks at two and he goes, well done, good and faithful servants. They became something because they did something. Now look at the third guy, you wicked and slothful servant, because he didn't do anything. He didn't become what he wanted to be. He became wicked and slothful. Your decisions are shaping who you are becoming. Every day you're casting a vote for the kind of person that you want to be, which this should literally set some of you free today. This should absolutely set some of you free today that a winning life, a successful life is about becoming, not achieving. Being successful in life is about becoming, not achieving. You can let go of the lie today that getting any one of your goals is going to make you eternally happy. This should set you free today because you are chasing something. The world has told you to chase something. I don't know what you're chasing right now. I don't know if it's a bigger pay raise. I don't know if it's, a, if it's the next paycheck. I don't know if it's marriage. I don't know if it's friendship. I don't know if it's influence, but you're chasing something, maybe an experience, maybe traveling. And there's this lie that's been placed in our mind that if we get it, then we'll be satisfied. That if we get it, that it'll be enough. But life isn't about achieving. It's about becoming. It's about growing into who God wants us to be. Because you got to be honest, like what happens when the results that you're chasing after don't result in the, in the end goal that you desired? What happens when the results that you're chasing after do not result in the end goal that you desired? When, when, you, don't, when you don't feel like that thing that you've been chasing after actually truly satisfies. You see, what we fail to realize is that our rhythms reflect our results and our results reflect our rhythms. And so the things that you're doing are shaping who you're becoming. So you can live a stressed out, maxed out, tapped out life, hell bent on trying to become successful to achieve for yourself. And what that's gonna do is it's gonna achieve you becoming a stressed out, maxed out, tapped out person. So you might get it, but you might lose yourself. So Jesus goes, no, 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 I want you to vote every day, not for what you want to do, but for the kind of person that you want to become, kind of person that you want to become. You see, being a results-focused person produces unbelievable pressure. I'm a results-focused person. I'm a bottom-line kind of guy. I'm an end goal. I want to know metrics and statistics and data. Do you know what kind of pressure that produces? So much pressure. So much pressure to attain and measure up and continue to grow and continue to succeed and continue to be great because if the numbers aren't higher, then people don't love you. And so it produces all of this pressure on the inside. But being a process-focused person produces peace. Being a process-focused person produces peace. Being somebody who's more concerned with who I'm becoming than what I'm doing, realizing that my life is about becoming, not achieving. If you could just start saying that to yourself, it's about who I'm becoming. Not what I'm doing, not what I'm achieving, not whether other people think that I'm succeeding, but who I'm becoming. That is what matters most. James, in his book, he goes on to say this. I love this part. He says, um, nope, that's not what I intended to see next on the screen. But um, in James's book, he talks about being, um, you, you're being in love with your process rather than a product, okay? So when you fall in love with the process rather than the product, you don't have to wait to give yourself permission to be happy. You can be satisfied anytime your system is running. 
So think about that. When you develop a way to live and you're thinking about casting votes every day, it's not as much about how that day went with whether or not I was in step with the process. I was in step with the way of life that I've submitted myself to. You got to fall in love with the process. This is what produces peace because then it's not about getting to the end, but right now you can be happy. Right now you can experience joy. Right now you can be fulfilled. Right now you can be satisfied. Right now you can be anxious for nothing. Right now you can be content. Everybody's waiting to get to the end and then you waste all of this time, all of this life trying to get to this end goal. And then when you get there, it's not enough. But embracing this way of life where Jesus is trying to tell us to vote and vote every single day, then you can be satisfied about where you are at. Let me give you a system that's going to help you rig the results of your life. Faithfulness and obedience. Faithfulness and obedience. Faithfulness and obedience are the compounding interest of Christianity. Faithfulness and obedience. You see, everybody wants sacrifice. That's what you want to do. You want to do something that's big, something that's flashy, something that looks like it makes a statement, sell all I have and move to Africa. Right? That's what was real hot when I was in youth group growing up. Some sacrifice kind of moment, right? But what God is after is he's after your obedience. He says it in 1 Samuel 15, 22. But Samuel replied, what is more pleasing to the Lord, your burnt offerings and sacrifices or your obedience to his voice? Listen, obedience is better than sacrifice and submission better than offering the fat of rams. You know why Jesus is better than this world? Because Jesus doesn't keep score like this world. Jesus isn't measuring outcomes and end goals and successes. We see it. He's measuring faithfulness. He's measuring obedience for you to run your race, for you to fulfill your call, not what, what, what somebody else wants you to do, but for you to live out what God has called you to do. You see, comparison, this, this is the next point, comparison will kill your count. Comparison will kill your count. If you notice in the story, both of these guys, they start with different numbers. They start with different amounts. Every single one of them, they start with a different amount. And um, if you'll notice that the, the, um, the second guy has a larger chasm than the third guy. So it's five, two, and one. The first guy starts with five. The second guy starts with two. The third guy starts with one. The guy in the middle has the most to make up, right? Because the third guy, all he's got to do is double his and okay, well, at least I'm as good as you. But this guy, he's got to double his and then some to get to be as good as the first guy. So he's got a massive chasm to make up. They all start with different points. Guy five ends up with 10. Guy two ends up with four. Their efforts achieve the same results though. Well done, my good and faithful servant. So they've got different amounts, different starting points, different ending points in life, and yet the results are the same. The results are the same. Even though different paths, different amounts, different skills, different gifts, their results are the same. I'm convinced that comparison is one of the number one destroyers of destiny. That when you compare your life, when you look at what you don't have and what somebody else has and you're always comparing, what that's going to do is that that's going to kill the unique call that God has placed on your life. 
You know, if you would stop complaining about everything that you don't have and start praising God for all the pieces that he gave you, your life would be a million times better today. If you would start to embrace the fact that he made you a masterpiece, unlike anyone else, that, and you would own that lane and be okay with that lane and stop looking in this other lane, then you'd stop fumbling over your life so often. And, and I want you to know that this isn't like self-help pie in the sky, make yourself feel good jargon. This is Bible, okay? It's Bible. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. For we are God's, give it to me, masterpiece. masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus, for we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. Man, I think that all of this comparing ourselves to others is killing our count. Hey, let me just be straight with you. You know that Joe Biden and Donald Trump ain't looking at Kanye's vote count. <laughs> Kanye is not on their radar. Right. Who, who in your life are you comparing yourself to? And the truth is, you ain't even on their radar. Man, you play those games in your mind. Man, you scroll through their social media feed. You look at how many followers they have. You look at their house, their style, their car, their vacation. There's this comparison. You look at their influence. You look at how other people view them. And it's comparison, comparison, comparison. And you're in the exact same place as you are today that you were a year ago. Do you know why? Because comparison kills your count. The second guy didn't think for two seconds about the fact that he didn't get as much as the first guy. He just got busy. He just got to work. He just be became faithful and obedient to do what he could with what he had been given. Faithfulness and obedience are the compounding interest of Christianity. No one can beat you at being you. You know that, right? No one can beat you at being you. If you will fulfill your call, fulfill your ministry, run your race, then you've rigged the results because there's no one else running against you. Like whose race are you trying to run today? Run your race. First Corinthians chapter 15, verse 10 says, by the grace of God, I am what I am. By the grace of God, I am what I am. You know, I've been so frustrated by what I'm not before been frustrated that I'm not like the kind and compassionate guy, you know? Because God told me that I'm supposed to be a pastor. You know what? I'm not very nice all the time. I, I got frustrated that I wasn't like the smart, cerebral, intellectual strategist. That's not me. I'm the loud, obnoxious guy, okay? And I, I spent years of my life being frustrated by what I'm not, by wanting to be this certain way. And it made me quiet and timid and unsure of myself. But when I realized that sometimes that God uses loud, obnoxious guys to wake people up to Jesus, I became, I'll take all six of those claps today, okay? I was like, yeah, we're going, we're not going. Praise the Lord. But man, I became grateful for how he made me and I, start, uh, I stopped complaining about what he didn't give me. And it made all the difference in the world. What would happen? if you cared more about obedience than you did appearance? What would happen today if you cared more about obedience than you did appearance? Next point, what you think about God motivates how you move. What you think about God motivates how you move. Look at verse 16, it says, he would received the five talents, went at once, let's say that together, went at once and traded with them. 
So also he who had the two talents at once. They were given something and they went. They didn't stop. They didn't contemplate. They didn't think. They just moved. Compare that with guy number three. Verse 24, he also who received the one talent came forward saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid and I went and hid your talents in the ground. What you think about God motivates how you move. The first two guys don't seem as concerned with getting it wrong as they do just getting to work. The third guy says, You're a, I knew you to be a hard servant. I knew God to be a hard servant. I knew you to be a tough master. And so what did he do? He went and he hid it in the ground. Because what you think about God motivates how you move. Um, A.W. Tozer says it like this. He says, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. Tozer goes on to say, the most poorness fact about any man is not what he at any given time may say or do, but what he in his deep heart conceives God to be like. I think a lot of people in the room have lived a paralyzed life by their understanding of who God is. They're so afraid that God is going to get mad at them, that they're not fulfilling God's magical will for their life, that they're somehow going to mess it up. And so they get paralyzed. They take the talent, they take the gift, they take the time that God has given them, and they bury it into the ground. And a lot of people are in the same place in their relationship with God, same place in their influence, same place in all of that, because they're afraid of what God is going to do. They're afraid of what God is going to say. They're afraid of, uh, of them blowing it, of them messing it up, and God being mad at them. I want to ask you today, do you look at God more as a dictator or more as a dad? Do you look at God today as more of a dictator or as a dad? Because how you see him will shape how you move. Now, let me just do it like this. You know, when babies start to walk, it's super funny. Y'all ever seen a baby start to walk before? And there are like physicist level problems with children trying to walk. Like, it's a massive issue, okay? Because when babies are born, and I just had one like 21 days ago, they're born with these gargantuan heads and tiny little bodies. That's just the way that it is. Babies, they just got this big old fat head and then this tiny little body, right? And so it's on this little like limb stick and it's just going like this, right? You've seen a baby, you know, it just can't keep its head up. So when it starts to walk, right, it's, it's the same way with, with every child. They, they kind of start to slowly move, start to move around, and then they start to crawl. You ever seen a little kid start to crawl? They start to crawl, and after they start to crawl, they make their way over to like a coffee table or an ottoman or something, and then they pull themselves up, right, parents? This is how it goes. They pull themselves up, and then what do they do? They start to bounce. Every little kid, that's what they do. They're holding on a coffee table, and they're just bouncing, shaking that booty, right? And so there they are, they're bouncing. And then something crazy happens. I really can't explain it. I don't know if it's biology or psychology. I don't know, but it's crazy, okay? It's insanity. That's what it is. The little kid who's bouncing decides to let go. They let go, right? And then all of a sudden, gravity starts to take over. So you've got gargantuan head, tiny little body, and it's headed towards the ground. And so little kids, they've got two options, stick out a foot or die, right? Those are their only options. And so what happens? Every little kid, this is the way that it goes. A little kid, gargantuan head, tiny little body, is headed towards the ground, sticks out a foot, goes step, 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 falls flat on their face. Every little kid is the way that, that it works. What happens next? Mom and dad lose their mind. Mom and dad go crazy. Did you see my baby walking? 
My baby's walking, my baby's walking, 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 walking. Right, every parent, that's what they do. They lose their mind, they set them back up, they get a camera, they're like, let's do it again. They call America's Funniest Home Videos, they call ESPN, Michael Jordan, you're on blast, right? He's next, like this is the way that it goes. They lose their mind, right? Because their kid walked, everybody else is like, it kind of looks like he tripped. <laughs> kind of looks like he tripped. You know, this is what I've never seen. I've never in my whole life seen a little kid, gargantuan head, tiny little body, gravity starts to take over, step, 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 fall flat on the face. I've seen a dad do this. What are you doing? Are you dumb? It's walking. It's not rocket science. It's walking. I'm doing it. Your mom's doing it. For a treat, the dog will do it. It's walking. Kayla must be something on your side of the family because McLaughlin's, we are walkers, right? I've never seen that before. I've never seen that. Do you know why? Because that would be a horrible dad, an awful father. But how crazy is it that this is how many of us view God? That we think that we're taking steps of obedience, steps of faithfulness, and he's sometimes just mad at us for trying that he's disappointed because we stumbled and fell to the ground. We're looking at him as if he's some angry dad in distant outer space who's disappointed in us. When in actuality, Jesus knew you were going to be awkward. That's what the cross was all about. He knew you were going to stumble and fall and need him and not be enough. He is not the father who's disappointed in you. He is the dad that's right in front of you saying, let's do it again. He says, I'll pick you up and I'll wipe off your bloody knees. And if you'll just look at me in the eyes, you'll remember who I am. We can just keep walking. But what you think about God is going to motivate how you move. And if you think that he's a dad who's disappointed in you, that he's forgotten you, that he's given up on you, that he's just really hard on you, then you're going to stay paralyzed. But if you'll realize today that he loves you and that he's for you and that you're his kids, and that he's not going anywhere, and that he knows that you're in process, and what he cares about is faithfulness and obedience, not about what you're doing, but about who you're becoming. He already knows where you're headed. He already knows what your future is. He's already written your story. And if you'll focus there, if you'll live there, there is so much more for you to experience. And you got to move. What shapes, what you think about God's going to shape how you move, and you have to move because a day is coming when you're going to count the results. You know it's coming someday, right? <laughs> Much like this election, who knows when? But one day it's going to happen that they're going to open up the ballot box of your life and God's going to take every decision, every action, every choice, every ideology. He's going to take every Tuesday and every Wednesday, every quiet time or lack of quiet time, every prayer, every thought, every post, every habit, every routine, every workout plan, every TV show, every book you read, every conversation you had, every vote you cast for the kind of person that you wanted to be, and he's going to dump it out. He's going to dump it out on you, and he's going to dump it out on me, and he's going to, there's, there's going to be a verdict that's rendered. And it's, going to, it's not going to be as much about what we've done, but who we've become and it's going to be either your, well done, my good and faithful servant who focused on faithfulness and obedience, or it's depart from me, my wicked and slothful servant, for I never knew you. I don't think that we 
realize that a day is actually coming when the results are going to get all tallied up. When this thing called life that we're just blazing through at a million miles an hour, focused so much on what everybody else thinks and whether or not we're winning in the world's eyes, is going to get dumped out and the king of the universe is going to count the votes. What are the results going to be? What is it going to say about you? And what is it going to say about me? You know, my great fear for us in the 21st century living in Sandy Springs, Metro Atlanta, Georgia, is that a lot of us are going to win at the wrong game. A lot of us are going to shoot on the wrong basket. A lot of us are going to get things right that don't matter in the end. Like, so what? Who cares? A little more money? A bigger house, another vacation, a few more followers. So what? Who cares? I, I love the way that Jesus says it in Matthew 16. He says, what good will it be for someone if they gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? You know that one of the ways to absolutely not rig the results is to think that somehow the results this side of heaven matter more than the results on that side of heaven. I'm a grace guy. I always have been, always will be. You can't buy your way to heaven. You can't earn your way to heaven. You can't do enough good stuff to make God love you. I'm gonna show you that in just a second. There's no doubt about that. But do you know that there is actually a reward coming in heaven? Jesus says to us, do not store up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourself treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. I think that you maybe missed out on how Christianity really works if you don't realize that when you get to heaven, there are rewards to be given. There are crowns to be earned. There's experiences to be had. There's favor to be rested upon you. And I think that sometimes we miss that and we start trying to win an election this side of heaven when we are created for something on that side of heaven. There's so much more that is in store for you and me. You know, I think that the only way to um, win in a world that values progress and achievement and to try to become a person who's more focused on becoming than achieving is when, when you can't win at their game, you just got to play a different one, you know? When you can't win at their game, you just got to play a different one. And um, that's what Jesus has invited us to do. In um, Matthew 13, Jesus, this whole chapter is him telling stories or parables that illustrate um, what it looks like to play a different game, to march to the beat of a different drum. And um, this is my favorite story that he tells. He says, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. That's what the kingdom of heaven is like. I love that in the kingdom of heaven that it's called a treasure, that it's valuable, that it's extremely valuable, that it's rare, that it's riches, that it's something that you would want. And I love that it says that when he founds it, he covers it. And then he goes, in joy he goes. This part is so important in Christianity that what God does not want for your life, what Jesus is not after is just like fear-mongering submission. God doesn't want you following him because you're afraid. He wants you following him because you're in joy and you're in love. And this person sees this thing. He experiences the kingdom of heaven, which would be like following Jesus, the ways of Jesus, the kingdom of Jesus. He sees it. He says, it's so valuable. It is so good. It is so worth it that 
that I go and I, I cover it up, sell all that I have, and then buy that field. I cover it up, I go sell all that I have, and I, and I buy that field. I think that one of the ways to not rig the results of your life and to get the wrong results for your life is to not realize that Jesus himself is the treasure. A lot of people do Christianity in a way that they use Jesus to get something from Jesus and they forget that Jesus is the treasure. I don't want to try to lead you to do a version of Christianity where you think that if you follow God, he is somehow going to, you're somehow going to put him in, in your debt or something. God is not going to owe you anything and he is not the means to an end. He is himself the end. He is the prize. Jesus is the treasure. He is enough. He is the only thing that is worthy. We don't follow him because of what he can give us. We follow him because he's enough. And a great way to rig the results of your life is to bank on Jesus. Because if you lose everything else, then he's still enough. He's enough. He's the treasure. He's the prize. And this is what it's asking. Rigging the results of our life is about putting Jesus over results. If you want to rig the results of your life, put Jesus over results. Let Jesus be the thing that you're living for, not what other people think. Let Jesus be your end goal and nothing else. Let Jesus become the prize and the treasure and the thing that your heart is ultimately after. This will rig the results of your life. But the thing that I love so much about this parable, about this story, is it's a bait and switch. This story isn't just about what we are supposed to do for Jesus. This story is about what Jesus came and did for us. And in a correct understanding of the parable of the hidden treasure, you would see that the field is the world, the man is Jesus, and the treasure is us. He treasures us. He loves us so much that when he looks down from heaven, he sees us lying in this poverty-stricken, sin-filled world. And he comes. And when he finds us, he covers us with himself. That's what the gospel is all about. That he covers us. He covers us with his blood and he covers us with his life and he covers us with his faithfulness because the truth is that you'll never be faithful enough but that when you are faithless he remains faithful and so he covers us and he purchases us he lays down his life he gives up himself so that we can know him it's a beautiful story and i just know that there are a lot of people who've been living running the wrong race today, living for the wrong results today, held captive and a hostage by living for temporary things and playing temporary games. And I just know that the day is coming when this is gonna get dumped out. And the beauty of the gospel is that if you'll dump your life out now, if you'll pour your life out for Jesus right here, right now, today, in this moment, if you'll say that I trust him and that I follow him and that I surrender to him and that he can have everything, then what you get in the end is for him to be the person who stands in your place, for him to be the person who speaks on your behalf, for him to be your advocate, for him to be your king, and for him to be your shield and your reward. So with every head bowed and every eye closed, God, I thank you that you have shown us a better way. God, that you've shown us a more excellent way. God, that in a world that is 
so easy to live for and sells us so many ideas about success and happiness. God, I pray that we would see a different way to live today, that we can rig the results of our life and we can know what's gonna happen in the end, God, if we'll be people who vote every day and we'll be people who change how we see you and if we'll walk in faithfulness and obedience and if we'll stop comparing ourselves to others and God, if we'll just elevate you, Jesus, above everything and over everything, if we'll see you as the prize and you as the treasure. God, thank you for a more excellent way to live. And God, I know that there are some people in the room today who came in seeing you as a dictator. They saw you as a disappointed dad, as a dad who was far off, as a dad who was unengaged. But today, right now, they wanna experience you. They wanna know you. And so if that's you, if you're in the room today and you've never met Jesus, you've never given your life to Jesus, you've never received the love of Jesus, I wanna give you an opportunity to do that. And so with every head bowed and every eye closed, I'm just gonna ask you to pray this prayer after me. Jesus, I need you. And Jesus, more importantly, I want you. I wanna give my life to you. I wanna surrender my sin to you. I believe that you died on the cross. I believe that you rose again. And I wanna give my life to follow you forever. If that was you, the Bible tells us that right now, the spirit of Jesus came to live inside of you, making you a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come, and there's so much life ahead of you. And we wanna help you on that life, help you walk this walk and talk this talk and live in the ways of Jesus. And so, the first thing to do is to mark that moment. And we'd love to celebrate with you. So if you gave your life to Jesus today, if you just prayed that prayer with every head bowed and every eye closed, I'm just gonna ask you to raise your hand on the count of three. We wanna celebrate with you. We wanna help you on your journey, help you take your next step. There's a bold step of obedience today, but I think it's the most important step that matters. On the count of three, one, two, three. Praise God, amen and amen. And amen. Hey, let's celebrate today that some people gave their lives to Jesus, that people said yes to King Jesus today. That's what this place is about. And so God, we love you and we know that the truth of the gospel is that we can never earn it, that we can never be good enough, that we can never work hard enough, but that you, you are faithful when we are faithless and you are enough when we've got nothing to offer. And so God, we just stand on your promises today. We believe the truth of your word today. And we ask you to have your way with us today. And we ask it in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen and amen.